Welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's weekly podcast about comics, news, and interviews. And I am here with Jeff Johns, the writer and producer of CW and DC Universe's new show, Stargirl, and the comic that it was based on. Hi, Kate. Hey. So, um, your relationship with Stargirl, the character... And the property goes way back to the very beginning. When did when did you start working on this character? Um, God, I started working on the character. I probably started working on the character in like 1990, I think 97. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd say 97 because I, I had my sister passed away in 1996, uh-huh. uh, and I was working on a film. I was Dick Donner's assistant on this film called Conspiracy Theory in the fall of 96. I just gotten out of school for my very first jobs. It was my, really my first job. And, and uh, we shot in New York City and some editors had sent like this, I don't know if you remember these awesome books, like the big book of conspiracies. Mm-hmm. DC used to publish these great, these great like, I think it was, it was just a different format, but there was these things called the Big Book of, and they did this one called the Big Book of Conspiracies, and they sent us a bunch of copies for the movie, and just out of the blue, it was really nice. And so I invited them down to the set um, to check out the set while we were shooting, and they came down there, and we got to talking comics as I was showing them around, and they could tell I was obviously a comic book fan. I was probably asking about so many just different, like, zero hour and like all the relaunches i think i was probably asking a ton of questions and i um they said hey would you like to see the office since you showed us around so that'd be great and i ended up you know talking to them about stuff and and uh in comics my love for comics and i wanted to be you know i was working on being a writer and i had respects and i was working for dick as his assistant and writing they said hey if you have ideas you should pitch us something and i i you know i'd always loved comics and wanted to write comics i didn't necessarily know I'd do as many as I, I have, but I, I just love it. Um, but I, you know, I thought about it and I really wanted to do a character that was inspired by, um, Courtney and by my sister. And, you know, she was such a, she was the youngest of three and, she, and my brother and I were older and she, I think that's why she was so she, like, she had a lot of drive and a lot of like, you know, wanted to prove that she could do stuff. And even though she, you know, she, she wasn't always capable of doing whatever she set out to do. She always like went for it to, to kind of just, you know, I don't know. There's something in her that just let her never quit. And she had so, such a great attitude about it and, and helped a lot of people and, and was a really just such a positive experience, a uh, positive, uh, uh, person, mm-hmm. um, and influence in my life. So I, she was, you know, I wanted, and, and obviously I was in a big, you know, very, very big state of grief still, uh, even, you know, even a few months later, obviously, and years later, and even now, but, you know, you learn to live with it as people who've lost somebody have, but, um, yeah, it's always there. But anyway, I wanted to kind of put, or I wanted to put that positive energy that I felt, you know, had, had gone missing in my life back into it. And, channeling it through my other love of comics and my passion mm-hmm. for the DC universe. It, it was the first thing I pitched to DC and I didn't, you know, I didn't tell anybody back then. Like I remember I, Mike Carlin, after we were, the book was up and running. I told him about Courtney and he's like, well, you should dedicate the book to her. And I did the first issue. And, um, 
you know, it was, I kept it pretty, pretty private and get out there a little bit, but I didn't talk about it too much. It was um, still pretty fresh back then. Yeah. It was hard to talk about. And it's, you know, I, it takes you right back. I mean, I don't know if you've ever lost somebody like that, but when you, you know, it takes you right back there so quick, you can get mm. back there so fast. And one of the things I want to do was, you know, again, create a character that was, you know, that was just, uh, that was going to be around and, and, yeah. And be positive. And she was, you know, and she was colorful. And I also, uh, on the other side of it, I, you know, I like Supergirl and Batgirl and, and every, and, and those characters a lot, but I wanted to see a teenage, a teenage girl that was like, had her own legacy. That was her own thing that she wasn't the sidekick. And, and part of the stuff that inspired me to look at Star Spangled Kid and Stripes, he was Jerry Siegel and Hal Sherman created this thing in the forties that it didn't last that long, but the concept was kind of fun for its day is it was a flip on the sidekick, uh, trope is that the kid was the lead character and the adult was a sidekick. And I thought that would be fun to, to do again. And I wanted to, you know, bring in Pat Dugan, Stripesy and, and he could be her stepfather and she was the ste- stepdaughter. And that suddenly gave me a dynamic because for me, it was about family creating. This was about family. So I wanted the comic book to be about family and I could deal with, with, you know, bringing a family together and, and building this love and bond between the characters. Um, so that's, that's the origin of it. But I, I mean, I've been working on it. Yeah. I worked on, I started working on it like, Probably the, I mean, I bet probably the fall of '96 when I was still in New York shooting and talking to them about comics. I probably started to think about it then, but really it was in earnest '97, and then it got approved from DC. I think I pitched it officially, pitched it in 1998 with Artist Lee Motor and mm-hmm. this editor Chuck Kim, uh, who's a great guy. He was actually a writer on Heroes um, after this, but he uh, and then Mike Carlin became the editor when Chuck left DC, and and um, and I, you know, we, I started writing it in 1998 and it didn't come out till like May 99. They wanted to wait, wait to launch it with a JSA book that they were doing. Mm-hmm. So one thing before we start moving past this origin story of the character is Courtney has a stepbrother. Yeah. And Courtney's based on your sister in part. Do you ever see yourself in the brother character? <laughs> Sometimes I do. I mean, yeah, when you write, you see yourself in every character in some way. But yeah, sometimes I do. There's a bit of a flip on it. You know, she was, she often made me feel like the younger brother. She was cooler. She was like, she had more, it more together. She had more friends. She was more popular in, in her class. So yeah, sometimes I did feel like the younger brother. So. So, I mean, the character has, has sort of, been around largely through the JSA books, which yeah. certainly have, have changed over titles and creators a number of times during the years. And in the intervening time, um, Starman with James Robinson was a thing. Oh, yeah. um, Jack Knight. Um, but he's he's not visible in the legacy in this show. Like, they do have, like, the... Uh, Jack Knight cosmic spear in there with Courtney as her source of power as opposed to the belt that was in the comics originally. Um, but he's kind of elided out in favor of this other character, Sylvester. Like, where was, where was well, that coming from? Well, I'll tell you exactly what's, you know, James Robinson is, I've known him since I was 19. He's one of my best friends. He's a writer and producer on the show. Yeah. Uh, when I, 
you know, and we had talked like, I mean, he, I met, I knew him before, like I even met him when I was pitching stars and stripe. And I remember I had met him cause he lived out in LA and I said, Oh, I'm pitching this book. And he's like, that's a really cool idea. And he, you know, I remember he called Mike Carlin. He said, Hey, you should look at this. This is cool. Like he liked it. And I never forgot James for that. And we, we've been, I mean, we've just been good friends since I met him at a show in Michigan, you know, again, when I was 19 and love Starman, love what he did with the golden age, the golden age. I've said it so many interviews throughout the years, but the golden age by him and Paul Smith is one of my very favorite comic book stories ever told. And that's really what made me fall in love with the golden age characters. As much as I liked them beforehand, that like cemented my passion for them. And when we were launching stars and stripe, James left JSA. He and David Gore were launching and he left pretty early. He got busy with some film work and he left pretty early. And David asked me to come on as his co-writer. Like it was like issue three. Um, and, and so I did. And James and I would talk as he wrote Starman and then he's wrapping up the series and he said, you know, I don't even know how it came about. He said, I'm going to have Jack, like give the staff to Courtney at the, in the final issue. And cause the legacy is passing on. I said, oh, that's amazing. And, I don't know where we talked about it. She might have, she might have had a staff in one of the, like, it's been so long. But then we ended up, you know, having the staff, tr- uh, go from Jack Knight to, to Courtney. Um, and she became Stargirl. And that's, that was really early on in her career. And she's, I mean, she was only, she went by the moniker Star Spangled Kid for, you know, her original run and then a little bit later, but not, not, not that, all, not that long. Um, she's been Stargirl. I think mo- like 90% of the time she's been around, but the, you know, we do spoiler alert. We do mention like the staff was in episode two. There's a mention of Ted Knight as connection to yeah. the staff. And one of the things that I wanted to do, and it's great having James on board with on the show. And he was fantastic in the writer's room and a great producer and, he spent a lot of time with me in Atlanta, which was really appreciated when we were shooting. He came out there quite a bit. Um, but he was just integral. Like I called him up before when I sold the show. I said, James, I'm doing Stargirl and he lives in Vegas. And I said, I need you to, I need you to come out here. Like I need another voice in the writer's room that loves these characters and is passionate about these characters as I am. And I was, you know, I said, I, I like, I'm not going to do the show without you. I need you. And, and he, he was super excited and he came out and he was such a, not only like, it's so fun to work with people you love, but I mean, he's, I love him like a brother. He's such a, such a wonderful guy. And he, and he just came in and gave everything he had to it. And we talked a lot about, you know, um, the history. Cause you know, we, it's pretty close. Like we didn't stray too far from it when you, when you look at it, but the reason that I wanted to choose Sylvester to Courtney is that's always been what the legacy has been, right? Sylvester yeah. Pemberton to Courtney Whitmore. Oh yeah. And you're just trying you know. to streamline yeah, the just, transmission yeah, a bit. Exactly. Just, just to, yeah, basically like, you know, rather than call him Skyman, which is just, it wasn't my favorite name, you know, calling him. It just didn't feel right. And he's too old to be Star Spangled Kid. It felt a little cleaner to say like, Ted Knight was Starman 100%. And he, and just like the comics, he gave, gave Sylvester the, the staff, which Sylvester had in the books for a while. And now we follow that, and Sylvester, we have him take up the name Starman, and then he dies and passes the staff on, you know, and, and leaves the staff, and Courtney picks it up. Now, <laughs> this is, I don't want to get into too much, but we yeah. have a, we have so much story That's, to explore. That is but like I, the first 15 minutes yes, of the but, show. Spoiler yeah. alert. Like, this yes, is the background. Spoiler alert. Yes. This is the background of the entire show. Like, yes. this is the and, concept. 
there's much more to come. Yes. And just I will, the three episodes I saw. Yeah. And I, and I will say this is the, we talk about, you know, that legacy, but one of the reasons that we use Star- Sylvester and have him die and, you know, I wanted to preserve that from the, the lore and the comics is that what it, that's what it is. And that's the tie to Pat Dugan and everything else. But also it, it allows us and gives us room to explore the Starman legacy in the future you know, to get back into where did the staff come from and what's it connected to and where what else is out there. So we didn't necessarily skip Jack Knight or any of that. Um We just don't know we just what have, may have been going on with yeah, that we, other we than just, these people. Exactly. We just don't know, you know, what we learn in the show is, and again, spoiler alert, Ted Knight made the staff and the staff's got some strange properties and that's you know, that's as much as we've said so far as you, you see in the early episodes, but we have every intention if we get more episodes and more seasons of this series. And I really hope we do because we had such a great time making it, it was so fun. Everybody uh, was so great. Um, and, uh, and we'd love to do it. And we already have you know, ideas for what season two is, but the, there's so much to explore in this from the history of. Sylvester and Pat and their super history and the JSA and the Starman legacy and, and, and Infinity Inc. That, that's a great doorway that we start to get into in the show. Um, there's so many different ways to go and places to go and take these characters that, uh, I wouldn't, I, I would say that there's nothing that <laughs> obviously I'm a big fan of the obscure and the deep reference characters because I find them to be the most fun to work on. Because their potential's unlocked and they're often overlooked and there's so much you can do with them. And that's definitely the case with all these characters. And, and when people see the first season, by the end of it, they see we crack a door open, a few doors open to some other, other corners of the, the golden age slash JSA slash Starman universe. I mean, even just at the end of the third episode, I won't spoil it. It is, but there is a door opened there. Yes. For a lot of legacies. Yes. Yeah. And that's really where the show goes, you know, in the promo materials and a lot of the interviews and, you know, it's pretty at the end of episode three, it's pretty clear where the show's going. Um, and, uh, it's kind of almost a backdoor pilot to what looks like a whole lot of other heroes in the future. Yeah. Though I wouldn't call it a backdoor pilot cause it is the show. Like we're not yeah. creating, we're not doing that for another show. This is the show. But yes. Yeah. yeah you're right. There's like, that you could, I mean, it's, the universe is so big. You, I mean, I guess you could actually, you could spin some things off if you wanted to and, and great success. But we have, you know, right now we're focused on this show. Okay. I was, I was just thinking of it in those terms because it was like titled Stargirl. Yes. We think it'll be focusing primarily on her. And then when the doors opened seemingly to like a whole lot of other characters, I'm like, yes. hmm, this is, where is this going? I mean, we live in the age of cinematic universes. So, of mm-hmm. course, when someone opens a door that wide, I go, Yes, huh. it's a big, yeah, it's a big wide door. And I would say, I would say, like, you know, the, we've always seen, I mean, I, I certainly have Stargirl's this great doorway to the, the, to the JSA. And it's a big, mm-hmm. big, you know, it's a big room to walk into or universe to walk into. So, who knows? Like, there's so much to explore. I, like, I, I know we'd have, like, I, I do hope we get more seasons of this because, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of, again, where these characters can go and what characters we can explore. There's so many great ones. And how long will this season be? I know that it's running both on the CW and on DC Universe in slightly different forms. 
Yes. I mean, the, it's 13 episodes, the first season. So it's a third, and we really plotted it out like a 13 hour Stargirl and the JSA movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's serialized as you saw from the first three episodes you watched and even more so when you watch four and five and, and so, so on. Um, but it's, so it's 13 weeks, I think in a row. I don't think they're taking any breaks. And, um, uh, yeah, and that's the first season. Okay. So, Stargirl is your creation, um, but she has been picked up by many other people, well, not many, but a certain number of other people through the JSA and occasionally through tie-ins to other comics. Yeah. Um, is there anything that surprised you in her evolution? <sighs> um, it was. It's always been fun to watch other people write her. I really enjoyed like what they did with her in Justice League Unlimited and some of the other animation she's been in. Um, I haven't really been surprised by where she's gone. There's been, uh, you know, there, there, she's been pretty consistent. You know, she's the young kind of proactive member of the justice society. And it's, she's been a pretty consistent character in that, um, in that role, uh, or she was for a long, long time. Um, she was briefly in Justice League of America. Jeff Lemire did a nice job with her in Justice League United. I really liked what he did. Um, but nothing, you know, I, I didn't see her and I was like, oh my God, she'd never do that. Or that's not like, well, I didn't, even, I didn't mean like a negative surprise. Just that, oh, I wouldn't have thought of doing that with the character, but that's cool. Um, no, I actually haven't. I was like when James, James Robinson wrote her because I liked the dialogue. He'd, he'd, she'd say surprising things and interesting things because his dialogue's so good. But she's, I don't think I've ever been like, you know, shocked by what, or, or you know, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised, but not in big ways. Okay. And I know that obviously you're heavily involved in the television version, but television is a collaborative property, even more so than comics. Yes. Um, what was it like, like helping translate your vision of the character and her story to the screen? And, you know, what parts maybe were you? And what parts, and I don't mean this in a negative way, what parts might have come in from, from other places, from the actors, from the set designers, from, you know, other oh people my God. I mean, it's... producing the show? Like, were there any parts that really stuck out to you as like, oh, that's an interesting, like, new part of this whole thing? Um, hmm, that's a great question. I, I, like, I can cite all these great people I worked with, like LJ Shannon, who did all the costume designs, and... You know, clearly she brings a lot of her perspective to the costumes, but they're translated very, very true to the lore, uh, throughout the show. And the same thing could be said for Stripe. We had designers, this, uh, awesome company called Legacy Effects. This guy, Alan Scott, it's his real name, Alan Scott. And he's very well, very well aware he's named after the Golden Age Green Lantern, but he, um, he runs Legacy Effects up here in the San Fernando Valley and they did they created the Iron Man armor and all the, you know, the, the armor and robots for Mandalorian did a ton of work on that and ton of work on the films. And, um, and they created this giant 15 foot robot stripe. And so when they came at it and showed designs, everyone brings their expertise to it. And so they take this, this great kernel of, you know, this, this core of, of, from the, the lore and then, you know, make it real. They, they bring it to reality. And when you bring something to reality, it becomes much more 
defined and detailed and, um, and, uh, you know, and so there was, there was a, there was a lot of that, like the visual effects, uh, how Zoic, Andrew Orloff, who co-founded that and, run, and runs it, he was, you know, he was our, our, uh, main guy overseeing all the VFX on it. And he would bring, they brought a bunch of stuff. Like they, when they first presented, we met with all these different visual effects houses and they presented what they wanted to do. And the way that, um, the team showed like, Hey, this is how, cause I said, you know, I wanted to use the staff in, in acrobatics in a different way. And because we're moving and we're in 3d and it's real, it was different. And they, they did some, some of these very early tests about what someone could do on that staff and it was beautiful. And the same with Walter Garcia, who was our second unit director and stunt, co- stunt coordinator. He, um, he, he designed all these amazing moves that, I mean, you saw a lot of them in, in the show, the episodes, but all these amazing moves that made the staff all the more real. The personality the staff has actually came from when I was writing the script and it just started to speak to, to her. Like it started to move around and react to her and ha- had a, it kind of had a life of its own, and it and it just happened, and then everybody. It comes everybody off as very alive. Yeah, I would say the staff alive. is the third lead of the show. I, I I agree, and it's a lot of fun. I love this staff. You know, it's the cosmic staff has definitely has a um, has a POV on what on what's going on, and and so there were so many people that were involved, and from you know the writers to Glenn Winter, the director, who did an amazing job, and. Emily Gunshaw, our other costume designer, and, um, you know, our editor, Andy, she was, a, she was awesome. She directed episode 10. I, we had so many great people. You know, you always hope when you collaborate on something, you know, as in comics, you're right, it's an editor and it's a writer and, and an artist and, you know, you have your letterer and your colorist and you all work together to create something. And the best collaborations I've ever had have been when I have a really amazing relationship with an artist like Gary Frank or Jason Fabok or Ivan Reese. Like we have such a, a strong um, collaborative uh, uh, way to work together that it, it comes together in, in ways that and are exciting. And the same thing can be said when you're working with these people. So when I work with LJ Shannon, like I lay it all, these are all the characters and here's who Wildcat is. And she'll come in and say, okay, well, here's how I see her fabric and her, this texture. And this is why I'm like, this it's great. So you start to get, everything is just more realized and it, and it crystallizes in your head. And, it, and, you know, as a showrunner, your, your greatest joy is watching and supporting amazing people work um, and, and doing what they do best. Uh, in the case of the cast, everybody brought something to their characters as well. The first time I met Luke, he came, he sat down and we, we had lunch and he came with all these ideas, hilarious ideas between Pat and Mike. Like he just loved that relationship, the Pat Mike relationship. And that really grew into something, you know, when we're, when we were on set, we talk about it and he and Trey, who plays Mike, Luke and Trey would spend time and come up with lines and like, and, and, and just brainstorm because they enjoyed working together so much. And, but every, everybody brought something to the table. That's, that's why I, you know, I was, I had such a wonderful experience. It was the best experience I've ever had working on anything because there were so many people, there were so many passionate, um, and smart and talented voices involved from all angles. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that's really the, the joy when you find a great collaborative or creative environment to work in is like comics, like working with, 
you know, people you really love and respect and, and it just in TV, it, it, when it gets bigger and it's, it's right and it works, it's, you know, it's a joy to be in it. It's busy. It's crazy. There's a lot to juggle. You know, you're, you're working all the time when you're shooting, you're working every second because when you're not shooting, you're either editing or you're writing. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's a great experience, but yeah, everyone brought everybody, you know, I, I said it early on to, to the entire crew and cast. It's a recipe, right? It's a recipe of, of people's work and, and talent and passion and, um, and, and everyone affects it. Everybody's point of view matters. Everybody, because they all are adding something to it. They all are doing what they believe is the best creative choice and the best choice. And, and so as you know, we saw everything from the production designer, you know, to uh, our casting director. Everybody brought their perspective to it, and the the key for it was was tone. If we all knew the same tone, we we all knew the tone. Like before we shot a single frame, I screamed back to the future for the casting crew, and I said, "Tonally, this is where you know, this is where we want to live." Like, uh, uh, I always loved that movie, one of my favorite films, because it took time travel and it wrapped it up in a very emotional personal family story that was fun and um and forward-looking and optimistic but um uh but that showing that film and and talking about it and why that really that also set a, a nice you know a nice uh starting starting line for everybody well interesting that you should bring up tone and you should bring up forward-looking because watching it um, just visually, once they get to Blue Valley, not before it, but once they get to Blue Valley, there's a very specific, almost mannered tone to it of like, it's very, very like, 50s and 90s put in a blender with precious little of the present day other than cell phones. Um, is there some in-story reason or is this more of an aesthetic choice? Um, it's, I, I'd say it's probably more of an aesthetic choice and what the, you know, what the Blue Valley itself is. Blue Valley itself is a little bit of a throwback, just like Pat Dugan and JSA are. But as the series progresses, you'll see more, you know, issues that I think are very present day and grounded, uh, within our world that the kids are dealing with or other people are dealing with. But there right. wasn't a, there wasn't a, there's, there's a timelessness that we wanted to it, you know, a, a sense of, a sense of timelessness that I thought would would really um, and, I don't know benefit it, you know, right. and, and make, so, make it feel different. And so, pulling aesthetically from a couple different eras helped to build that kind of adrift in timeness of it. Totally, yeah, completely. Like it, it is very fifties, nineties. I mean, uh, like there's literally now, they almost call it out. Like there's a point in which, um, and this is not really spoiling that much, other than like teenagers exist. Um, in which Courtney um, is arguing with another teenager and calls out her fashion choices as being very outdated, and everyone else looks at her like she's crazy. Yes, yeah. Um, and so I figured that was kind of maybe a bit of a, a yeah, yeah. There's a di- there's a different um, yes. Blue Valley is a very different town, and and we get more into that as we go, but. The overall feel of the show is supposed to be, you know, it's taking place firmly in 2020, but it's, it's still, it's still Earth 2, you know, it's still the JSA Earth. I always loved that the comics felt a little bit off, just a tiny bit. Um, so that was part of the, part of the reasoning behind that. Yeah, it does give it a very 
specific flavor. Um, also having decent lighting. Um, <laughs> yeah, Josh. I- Josh Stern, our gaffer, was unbelievable. Our DPs were unreal. Like, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I think the cinematography those those you know those people yeah. pulled off is beautiful. especially in the night shots. I'll be self indulgent here. Sure. As a viewer of television, I really like it when I can see what's happening during scenes set at night, and I appreciate that this in this show dark in a scene where maybe a villain is doing something bad or whatever does not mean so visually dark that we cannot perceive what's going on. Um, kudos to you and your gaffers. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, and I, I think that, that carries through as well, that the visual palette of it, both cinematography and costumes are, are definitely a bit different and a bit lighter and brighter than the Arrowverse, even than, say, some of the shows that are on the less dark end for the Arrowverse. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely a choice we wanted to, you know, we wanted to make. Um, and it was important to embrace the, you know, the comic book of it all. Like, this is this is something, like, from, I mean, you know, you'll see again in epi- at the end of episode three, you see it. Like, we're, you know, we're full-on embracing the mythology and we're not shying away from it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, they're all comic booky in their own way, but it's very, and I don't mean this to mean that it's not appropriate for adults as well, but the series does have a very YA feel to it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but that it has that, um, somebody had a head headline about this show, which said, you know, for kids, um, Definitely. Uh, By the way, for sure, yeah. is that this the 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 show? One of the ultimate goals for this show, and if not the ultimate goal, goal was to create a show that was that was accessible to everybody. You know, this is about families, and I really we you know I really wanted to set a, a show that was for families to watch together, for kids to watch on their own, for adults to watch on their own and love. But it is not, you know, it is not a Star Girl and the JSA, their tone, the comic book tone is, is for everybody. And, and the, they're the first superhero team ever. And I really wanted that reflected in, uh, in the show. Yeah, uh, and, a lot of, you know, a lot of books and TV shows are marked all ages, but when they say that, they usually mean kids. Whereas I would say the tone of JSA and the show is genuinely aimed as an all ages crowd pleaser. Yeah, yeah, that was our, our hope. You know, my, my, look, my greatest joy would be to see a stepfather and stepdaughter at a show, when shows are back and they will be, but at a show dressed like Star Girl and Stripe. Like that will be the coolest, the coolest thing ever because it, it is, you know, especially right now, when I grew up, I used to watch shows with my parents and my, my, you know, brother and sister. It was, We'd watch whatever, like The Incredible Hulk. It was a fun show to watch together, even though Hulk was a little scary. But we could sit down and watch it together. And there's so many great choices in TV right now. And I think TV, the quality of TV is so high. And so you can find anything you're looking for. And, and there's all these, you know, niches that you can, you, you can get into and people can find their own type of show. But I also wanted to, you know, I also, like in this, I wanted to create something that would cross those over that would allow for people to, Enjoy it, and when you have Luke Wilson and Amy Amy Smart, two amazing actors that have a, have a lot of fans that are you know that have seen them in a lot of movies and 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 shows and such, 
and then you have a, a younger crowd that's just coming in and meeting these people for the first time. My hope is that we get all ages watching this because that's, again, like you said, that's, that was what the show is designed for. It's not designed just for kids or just for adults. It's for, it's for everybody. So what's it like rolling out a show? that uh you were working on for how, how long has this been in production god i mean well let's see it got greenlit in uh nine uh 1990 in uh, <laughs> 2000 that's how long it's been in 2000 it's gonna be like july 2018 i think and then we went we i opened the writer's room that fall and then we um we started shooting last march so we shot from March to September and originally we were going to come out in, uh, on the DC universe. And then when CW, they came, they came in late, like after we, I think we had almost wrapped or wrapped the conversations were starting and suddenly everybody was saying it's going to air on DC universe and CW. And so that changed when they wanted to air it. Um, all for the better too. I think, you know, this is, this is, uh, uh, it gave us time to make sure that if the episodes were the best they could be and post and visual effects were done and, you know, everything was Pinar Toprak, uh, who scored, who did the score. She, um, did an amazing job on the music. Uh, we have a live orchestra, so she could, again, we had, we, we could, we could have had a little more time to get it right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's been, I mean, it will in July be two years, you know, two, two really fun, really busy years, but two years. So it's, the fact that it's coming out in, I don't know what, a, a week now, um, it's exciting. I, I like the, you know, the cast is texting me, crew, crew members are texting me, emailing, everyone's excited to see it. And they're really, uh, and they're really happy with the response so far has been so, um, so great. We're, we're really excited about it. So what's it like bringing something like that, that you've worked so hard on out at a time like this where like the media landscape is a very different place? It is. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's a weird time right now. It's a hard time for so many people. Like you and I were talking, it's hard for us to complain. We, you know, about anything. Um, I, you know, I hope that people and their families that, that they, they find the show to be something they can enjoy together and, and bring fun to, to the night they watch it together because that's what the show's meant to do. I, I'm glad that we have something out there that's coming out there like this. I'm glad that that, that tone of it exists. I'm glad that, you know, we set out to do something that was, you know, um, fun and, and, uh, and still emotionally complex and, you know, with dark moments of darkness too. It's not, it's not all just a, a, a cartoon romp. It really is real characters with real emotional and physical stakes, but you know, the, it's a, we, it's weird for, you know, it's a weird time right now regardless, but hopefully it, it's coming at a time that people need something like this and, you know, and, and, uh, and they find it and they, and they enjoy it. So I don't know what your production schedule is for the season two or even if you've been renewed. Um, but if you were to be renewed, how would the current you know, everything being pushed back on the schedule. It's a, um, it's a great effect question. Possible production. It's a great question. I mean, the right, you know, writing, you can, you can start right away. You can do virtual writer zooms and everything else. And those, yeah. those are going on in a lot of, in a lot of places. But, um, 
but the, the, there's so many unknowns beyond our production, beyond anything, right? Every production shut down right now. When they can reopen? When is it safe? How to do it? How does it change? Uh, it's just one of so many other things right now that are going to change and, and evolve. And it's very uncertain because nobody has the right answers. You know, is it this summer? Is it this fall? Is it next year? Nobody knows when production is going to start back up and they can make educated guesses, but that's all they are right now is educated guesses. So I have, you're, you know, I really, I, I hope that, I hope that things get safe soon and that we can all get back to, um, back to enjoying the company of, of people like, like we should. Uh, and that in turn will lead to, okay, and we can be in production. You know, that's, that's really the goal. My, my hope is if we get renewed for season two and we should know pretty soon, but if we do, you know, James and I, when we finished, like we were out in, in, uh, Atlanta together for like the last, you know, I don't know, month or so of production. And we had finished all the scripts were done and we were talking about season two and all these ideas. And it just kept coming. Like we, Luke walked into the, my, my office one day and he looked at the board and he goes, what's he's, he, he saw one through 13 and these descriptions. And he says, what's this? I said, this is season two. <laughs> and, um, and we're ready to do rock and roll. Cause we, again, we had so much fun on this and, uh, and I hope we get get the chance to do it and explore more of the more of this universe and and Courtney and her friends. So I know that there's often an impact of television and movies about superheroes on superhero comics, uh, as well as vice versa. Um, do you see in this, or you know, in previous characters you've worked on who have sort of transitioned from? comics to film to TV and back again um, influence of, of one on the other or interplay of one on the other and and what does that look like I don't I mean I will say like obviously the comic books that have influenced the show are Stars and Stripes JSA Infinity yeah. Inc Starman like th- those are ones that are really yeah, really that's obvious in that direction you know? But yeah, but in the in the other direction, I I don't I don't know in the, the other direction because that's the show's not out there yet, and you know there's I, that's not really up for me to go. Oh, this is going to happen because it's in this show. It's going to be in this. I think the staff having a, a being alive and having a, a sentience to it is a really great addition that that happened, you know, organically as as the show is being created and. You know, from everybody, I think that is a really fun addition that could play well in the books. But I, you know, but I don't know. It, it, one of the reasons I think it works so well on, on screen is because there's movement and there's sound and there's, you know, you have so many things that you can play with, um, that aren't in a comic book, uh, that, that give it that extra dimension and, and make it come alive a little bit more than it is on the page. Um, so, but it's hard to say, like, I'd be like, it's hard for me to go, oh yeah, this element and that element and this element from the show are going to definitely influence the comics. Cause I don't really know. You know, it's, it's yeah. going to be whatever resonates. Oh, hopefully, yeah. you know, I hopefully the, that for this yeah. show, like I, I know no one can read the future, but I know that this is not the first time that you've worked with a character who has been on TV before or been in a movie before and then, you know, you've been on the other end of the equation working on them in comics. Um, what has that impact, you know, what have you noticed of that impact? What does that look like to you? Anything stuck out to you? I mean, you know, you see the Aquaman as a beard. <laughs> that's something I yeah. you know, you noticed right away. Like, that's definitely, there's visual things in there. I think, you know, I, I mean, clearly there are, you, you look at 
I, I tend to look at the Guardians of the Galaxy in their comic books and you see the same characters, but I haven't paid, you know, I haven't really paid a ton of, a, a ton of attention or focused on, you know, what in the last, you know, five years has, has gone from the screen to the page. Uh, you notice that things like, um, I know flash trades sell better because of the, you know, because of the show. I know that there are certain things that, that change if there's a, a character out there, but I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't think I have, I've looked hard enough to really say this is what's influenced the show and this, or, or, you know, this, or yeah, this, the comic book versa. or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I, I just haven't. Okay. So that, and that really hasn't figured then into your own comic books in any way that really stuck out to you. No, no, it hasn't. So, do you know if there's any talk of any kind of publishing tie-in to this show? Like, are they going to be bringing out, like, more Stargirl stuff, even if it's reprints or, or what? They're, repr- they're re- reprinting the first um, series, Stargirl, which is available, I think, next week. Um, or the week after. I know it's shipping because I, it I saw it on some list. But I think it's shipping next – it's either this Wednesday or next when- – or Tuesday, whatever the days are now. Um there's talk of, I mean, I've been talking to DC about some publishing stuff right now. And yes, yeah, some, you know, some of it involves Stargirl and, and, uh, uh, I'm working with an artist that I love and would, and have been wanting to work with forever. And it, it would involve the JSA and Stargirl. And, and so we'll see if that manifests, but we're in talks right now about it. Okay. Um, incidentally, and given that you made Stargirl, Stargirl a very long time ago, by media standards. What did you think when your Stargirl show, so long in creation from its comic book birth, came out the same year as a Stargirl movie about a completely different Stargirl oh, yeah. from uh, Disney yeah. in the same year? Yeah, same year, almost the same month, right? We're months apart. Um, I, I, you know, other than uh, it existed, I didn't, you know, it's such a different beast. It's a streaming, I haven't seen it. It's a streaming film based on um, a novel that was written, I think a couple of years after Stargirl debuted. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, on Disney Plus. I haven't seen it yet. I know it's a, you know, a drama. I, I generally, you know, generally know what it's about, but. And it's, it's aimed at the same age group. So yeah. two Stargirls aimed at Great. the same age group maybe coming can, out maybe on streaming have, services. Yeah, let's, maybe yeah. we can have Grace and Brock meet in a crossover. <laughs> she can be the, uh, Grace can be the, Stargirl Earth Prime. That'd actually be pretty pretty fun actually to ever be on a Stargirl episode. So, obviously, you I don't want you to spoil anything you, you can't spoil, but what are some of the things that you're looking forward to potentially doing with this show? You mean, like, I mean, beyond the first season? Yeah, because I know you can't really talk about anything in the first season, really, other than just uh, the very basic things we talked about, but, like, yeah. Like going forward with the show, what sort of thing might you like to play with? I already have it in my head for season two and actually season three, so so I wouldn't want to divulge that here just because so I'll end up it's, using it's it. It's not as like it's not loose musings. There's always no, like it's no. Plan, and you it know, I, around that. I, I yeah, I I can't help but like often on the runs I've done on Green Lantern or Flash or JSA, like I've. I plot long term, you know, because I just I think long long term and macro, and so um, uh, and so that's you know 
that's my head can't help but pl- keep plotting it. And this is, oh, this is where we could go. And then, then she, Courtney goes through this and then she does this and then she has to face this and she, you know, she hits a, this, this point in her, in her life. So there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of plans already set in motion. Um, and, and the seeds are planted definitely in the first season to take us there. So, but it's exploring if you're a JSA fan or a, or just even a DC fan. Um, we get, you know, where, where we could go are some, some pretty interesting places that we've never seen on live action. One of the things I, I love that we were able to do was a Solomon Grundy that was more true to the comic books than we've ever seen before. So do you have any other shows currently, um, potentially up for production at the moment or are you focusing solely on Stargirl? Uh, right now it's, right, I mean, right now there's no production going, you know, we have Superman, Superman and Lois, Titans has been, you know, everything's been paused. So like even the writer's rooms have been paused now. So there's nothing, um, there, like we're, we're all waiting to hear what, hear what, uh, what the next step is, you know, what the studio is going to want to do. And when we, when we all start back up, you know, we're still doing some writing, but the writer's rooms are closed. Okay. And anything lurking out there in pre-production sort of waiting to be possibly picked up? Um, there's always development going on, but nothing I can talk about specifically. And, 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 and honestly, as like with Stargirl, you know, when we did season one, I put everything I had into it. I disappeared into Stargirl. I moved to Atlanta for six months to be in there for production. I like, I, I wanted to give everything I had to it and focus solely on it. And if we get season two, I will disappear once again to it and, uh, gladly. And so, um, you know, so I try not, to, I'm trying not to overload my, my schedule just yet. Out of curiosity, why Atlanta? Because, I mean, Atlanta's a perfectly fine place, but it's not where you normally think of a television show of this kind being filmed. Why Atlanta? Well, you know, there's so many, com- so many, uh, comic book shows, DC shows filmed in, in Vancouver that I didn't want to go to Vancouver because it's been shot so much. You know, it, it, it has a certain look to it and I wanted this to look different, um, than all the other shows. Doom Patrol shoots, shoots in Atlanta. Black Lightning shoots in Atlanta. There's a lot of great production in Atlanta. Great crews in Atlanta. I mean, amazing crews in Atlanta. Um, great locations. We found a great stage, but I, I really wanted to, I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to go somewhere, um, where I could find a small town and, and we would have different, just a different look to it. Uh, cause the whole point was to make this look different and feel different and, be a different type of show than we've seen before because again there are so many superhero shows out there so this you know that's you know that's what the that's that's why you know i i push for atlanta so we're wrapping up here is there anything that you want to bring up to our listeners or or that you would like to tell them um just you know this the the this show it's it's a it's a it's been a, a passion obviously a lifelong passion project for mine and like when my parents my parents are so excited they're telling all their friends about it and that that makes it everything to me but you know I know there's so many superhero shows out out there and and this one is for people who like superheroes or don't like superheroes and it's also it's coming from a place of you know there's no corporate demand to make a Star Girl show this came from really a uh 
a want to make it and a passion to make it. And the studio was super excited about it and, and, um, and loved the tone and the idea behind it. And, and DC was excited to explore the JSA and uh, it all came together in such a, a wonderful way. And there's so many people I, I have to thank and I owe for getting us this far. Um, but, but for everybody out there who has never, and I don't, I don't think listened to this podcast this far if they, they don't like superheroes, they'd probably turn it off. But um, but even for I'd say like probably everyone listening to this still is like you know like superheroes and comics or at least is interested in them. But I'd say even for those in your family that aren't like this is this is a show for them. They'll find something in this for them uh, because it's not all capes and powers. It, it's not about the the costumes and and um and, and the special effects. Although we have those in spades, it's really about this family dynamic and. Um, and I really have faith that, that, that people who aren't into superheroes will, will get something out of this and will enjoy it. Okay. Me too, Kate. And we'll, and hopefully we can talk more again on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. That wraps us up. Um, uh, right. hopefully, uh, I, I very much hope that there will be more to come. 